I don't know if you've ever heard of the Harvard basketball pass drill experiment. Um, they did this um, couple, I think like 20 years ago or so. They had uh, six players, right? And they, three were in white, three were in black. And the whites had to pass the ball to themselves and the people in black had to pass the ball to themselves as they're all moving around in circles all around. And you had to watch and say how many times the people wearing the white shirts pass the ball back and forth to one another. And so they do this for about a minute and a half and then you know, the, the experimenters ask how many times that they pass the ball, they get different answers. But then they ask, did you see the black gorilla? And more than half the people had no idea what they're talking about. And sure enough, if you, you know, because you can see this online on like YouTube, if you rewind the video about halfway through it, a man, this huge gorilla costume walks out in the middle of them passing the ball, claps his hand, like hits his chest, waves, and then walks out. He was on there for like 10 seconds. And yet more than half of the people didn't even see he was there. So how could that be? And then what they were taking from that is that our perception in our mind is what filters what we see. We do not see the things that we're not looking for. There's that saying, be careful what you look for because you will find it. So whatever we value in our mind, those people were told, value the, the number of balls that will be passed back and forth. That's what they were looking for. And that's all they saw. And so it's important for us to ask ourselves, you know, what are the things that I value in my mind? Because reality is not objective in our experience of it. We're happy and we're sad according to what we're getting the feedback of what we value. I mean, for, for example, liturgy, right? Um, we all have liturgical preferences. So some people, the good people, they love incense, right? And so when they see the incense wafting down the aisle and coming around the altar, they're expecting that. They're joyful. Other people don't like incense. And so when they even see the altar servers walking out with the thervil, even before it's got incense in it, they start coughing, right? Because they don't want that. They're not happy with it. So it's like, whatever it is, we experience it according to what we desire, you know, preconceived. And I was thinking about this in light of that second reading of St. Paul. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we proclaim Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those who are called Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. So part of what St. Paul is saying is that everyone missed Jesus. The Jews and the Gentiles alike didn't recognize Him as the fulfillment of all the prophecies as the Messiah come to save us. Why? Because He didn't fit the image of what they were looking for. If we don't understand what to look for when God offers Himself to us, we'll miss Him. Right? So the Jews, He was a, a stumbling block to the Jews because the Jews were looking for a political Messiah. A Messiah that would come and restore the kingdom of Israel and push the Romans out and create one religion for all of humanity underneath the Jewish people and the Mosaic Law. Jesus didn't fit that. Not going to the cross. That wasn't a part of their image. And the Gentiles, 
They call it foolishness because the Gentiles are focused on glory in this world. Fulfillment of their desires here and now. Victory. And how could a man who was rejected by his own people, abandoned, beaten, and crucified on a cross, who fails in every sense on a worldly way, be called a Savior? That's foolishness. So what St. Paul is saying, and this is something we really have to discern in our own hearts, is, is God's wisdom our wisdom? Is God's way of seeing the world our way of seeing the world? Because God's wisdom to St. Paul is Christ crucified. Christ on the cross is the greatest wisdom and power of this world. Which means that true wisdom is self-giving love. That's the essence of the cross. It's not about how much Jesus suffered. It's not about all the darkness that surrounded Him. It's not about His mission and the failure of that. All of that was just a contrast to reveal the love of God offered in Jesus Christ who loved us to the very end even unto death. The, God, the way what God values is love. Pure, self-giving, self-sacrificial love. And to God, that's the power that saves us. Transforms us. But to, to Gentiles and to Jews, it's foolishness and a stumbling block. And it can be that way for us too. So just think about how do you see the cross? What do you think about when you think about the image of the crucified? What does that mean to you? Because we all have different Protestants. For example, Protestants, there's a very important reason why they don't have Christ, the corpus, on the cross. Because their understanding of the cross is penal substitution. Right? Their understanding of the cross is not just Jesus totally giving Himself in love and the Father offering His Son to us. It's that we sinned, all of humanity was fallen, like a, and Jesus stepped into that to take our place to receive the judgment of God. It's like if you had a couple kids at home, and uh, you know one of them was supposed to do the dishes and mow the lawn, right? And you come home, like father comes home after a long day of work, he's already kind of frustrated, and then comes in, dishes everywhere, kids sitting around playing video games, and he's just furious about why didn't this get taken care of. And he goes to punish that, that son, but the other son, who did all his chores, who did what he was supposed to, steps in and says, no, Father, leave him. I'll, I'll step in. I'll take the punishment. And the father's just so filled with wrath, and he's a just father, so he has the punishment. And so he takes it out on the son. Is that, an, is that a loving father? Is that a good image of God that He's just so filled with wrath against sin, against sinful humanity that He had to take it all out on His Son on the cross in our place? But that's what Luther said. right? So his whole theology that built up Protestantism was that Jesus Christ was substituted and God was taking out all of His wrath on humanity on His Son on the cross. 
So there's a reason they don't like to project Jesus Christ crucified and just focus on the resurrection. But there's also a division for us as Catholics about sometimes how we view the cross. So you have, I think there's somewhat of a difference between liberals and conservatives, how we look at the cross. Like liberals, liberals can often emphasize the love, right? The, the, the kindness and goodness of Jesus Christ and what He offers, but they don't express the cross. It's Christ without the cross. It's love without suffering. Conservatives, on the other hand, can be very focused on, well, life is about cross, life is about duty, suffering, giving yourself, but we don't think about the love. They don't speak, speak about the, the love aspect of it as much. So it can be the cross without Christ. But both have to go together. The cross is suffering love. Suffering love is the wisdom of the cross that saves us. And if you think about it, the, the reason that that is so important is that you don't have perseverance in this world without suffering love. You can never have love without suffering. You can have suffering without love, but you can never have true intimacy and a vocation in this life without being willing to suffer. I don't know if you guys have heard of Woody Allen. He's a comedian and filmmaker. He once said this though. He goes, to love is to suffer. To avoid suffering, one must not love. But then one suffers from not loving. Therefore, to love is to suffer. Not to love is to suffer. And to suffer is to suffer. To be happy is to love. To be happy then is to suffering. But suffering makes one unhappy. Therefore, to be happy one must love or love to suffer or suffer from too much happiness. Right? So it's, it's a conundrum, right? That you can't have true love without suffering. They go hand in hand. It was fascinating. I just had, this happened last year. I had a, in the same day, um, a seminarian come to me in, in the morning during the weekend. He was saying how he just felt like he wasn't called, well, he, he felt like he couldn't continue going to seminary to be a priest. And I asked him the question, um, so what, what happened? What made you believe that God's not calling you? Is that, is that what's happening in your life? And he goes, I can't say that God's not calling me to be a priest, but it's too hard. The suffering is too hard. I can't take this. I don't feel like I'm strong enough to bear this. And we talked it out a little while and then Later on in the afternoon, a married couple come to me. We'd been married for like 15 years. And they were also struggling. They said, we just, we've met a, come to a, you know, an impasse where we just fight all the time. We can't seem to agree. And we come back to the same root over and over again of our disagreements. And we just don't know if we can make it through this. And it made me think about something that a, a marriage counselor had told us back in seminary. He said he was a he studied a lot of mysticism and and um, kind of the prayer life of Christianity and he was always working with married couples and he said that he found a connection. He said that in the life of prayer in our life of intimacy with God, 
everyone goes through like five or seven make or break periods where there's only dryness, there's no consolation, there's no joy or intimacy, and all of our being is just wants to go away from God and to give up. But if we persevere through that, there's a far deeper intimacy with the Lord than what we had before. And he said the same exact thing he has seen over and over again in marriages. That every marriage goes through like a handful of difficulties where you get to a point where it's like, I don't know how we're going to make it through this. But every time those couples persevere through that darkness and that dryness, on the other side of it, there's a deeper intimacy and bond between them than they ever had before. And that's something that we can only have through suffering love. But to, to have that, our perceptions need to change. Right? Because if I see these difficulties in my relationship with God, in my prayer life, in my fight to live a virtuous life, in my relationship with my spouse or my children, then the cross just becomes foolishness to me. Or it becomes a stumbling block. And that's when relationships break with God and with one another. We don't realize that it's, it's in the very context of our relationships. That's where we're living out the true wisdom of God, which is loving to the very end. Giving ourselves as a sacrifice to the very end. That's what God sees when He looks at us. That's what He values he values our struggles. He values our determination to love in the midst of whatever difficulties come up in our life. To never give up. I want to read one thing to you. I thought it was so fascinating that just this morning, um, I got a text message. There's a, a woman I've known for years since I've been a priest who's very charismatic and she was at my last parish I was at. And we only talk infrequently and haven't talked in, a, in actually a long time, and she just texted me this morning, and she texted me in a, an image of a book she was reading. And she said, for some reason, I felt God was telling me to share this with you right now. And this is after I spent the whole week researching and praying over and writing a homily on the wisdom of God is suffering love. And I, I just want to read that to you because um, it just blew my mind that, w- that it would come on the very morning of this homily. She says, as, Saint Louis, as C.S. Lewis said, we are like eggs at present, and you cannot go on indefinitely being just an ordinary decent egg. We must be hatched or go bad. The same is true of the soul as is true of the body. There has to be a death before there can be a resurrection into a transformed body and a transformed world. If your soul has never been broken, if your heart has never been broken by suffering love, by the coming together of love and suffering, if you have avoided life's greatest suffering by avoiding life's greatest joy, loving another person with your whole heart, then you are not a complete human being. The only whole heart is the heart that has been broken. Because only a broken heart can experience life's supreme joy. 
Only a heart that has experienced failure can experience success. Only the heart that has given itself away by loving others can find itself. As Christ Himself taught us, unless the grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains only a single grain. We should be able to understand the mistake the Jews who didn't believe in Jesus made about Him. Not understanding that the Messiah's supreme power, the power to save the world, was in dying. What if every one of us could say that for our own life, for our own vocation, for our marriage, our priesthood, our consecrated life, that the true power that I have is to die, to give myself to those God has entrusted to me. That is the true wisdom and power of Jesus Christ on the cross. And just ask yourselves in this time, where is that happening? Where are those moments being opened up to you? Because if we don't recognize those moments, that the, the very sufferings and the crosses in our life, they're not something to be eradicated. A foolishness to be understood. Right? Or a stumbling block to be overcome. But those very crosses are God's ways of inviting us into this total self-emptying love for my family, for my friends, for God Himself. And that's the essence of what we do in every single Mass right here. What we do as Catholics at every Mass in celebrating, representing the Last Supper and the sacrifice of Christ is we take the darkest moment in the life of Jesus Christ on this earth. When he's the very night he's being betrayed and abandoned and handed over to the Jews to be crucified, the darkest thing we've ever done to God, he turns into the greatest act of love and self offering and the very source of our worship as Catholics by saying, Take this, all of you, and eat of it. This is my body given up for you. This is my blood poured out for you. He offered Himself. And to the degree that we perceive the power and truth of that sacrifice on this altar and come to value it as sacred in our own life, then we will truly come to understand and to live the wisdom and power of God in our own life and vocations. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Love to the end.